It's almost the end of the year, a year dominated by talk of the weather. So I'm going to see water across the farm well into the spring. You just can't move anymore. And you, it's field after field after field. And it's just, it's heart-wrenching that you can't do your job. The people have had their livelihoods turned upside down uh, because banks haven't been uh, properly maintained. So that's where we end the year in farming. The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello, welcome to the last farming programme proper of 2019. Yes, with the pantomime next week, it's our last chance this year to discuss all things agriculture, probably wise, given the year that we've had. As mentioned, I thought we'd focus on what's been the main talking point, certainly for the latter half of the year, and the weather. I recently visited Flora Farms, not far from Grantham. Land there has been flooded four times in seven weeks, and like many others, it's put paid to any hopes of winter drilling. Mark Chatterton, director of Duncan and Topless, met me there. We'll hear from him in a moment. First, Tom Hawthorne of Flora Farms talks me through what life has been like on the farm of late. Pretty miserable, um, as everywhere else has been in the East Midlands. We're uh, so we're sort of on the, the, the Lincolnshire, Nottinghamshire border, just south of Newark. Uh, and historically, um, we would be quite low in our annual rainfall, so probably 550 mils in a in a calendar year. So pretty average, 45 mils every month all the way through. Um, heavy clay soils, so if we get excessive rainfall, that becomes quite a tricky sort of uh, tricky thing to deal with. And also we have, because we're quite close to the Trent, we have quite a few feeder, feed rivers or waterways which feed towards the, um, towards the Trent. So really we've gone from being, from the beginning of the year in uh, January, February, March, not quite a drought, but pretty much being in a drought, to then suddenly getting to, well, beginning to rain in April, but June, um, we were very wet. So we actually went from being a from being in a drought to suddenly suddenly getting a hundred mils plus a month, and then it's been pretty relentless from that point all the way through until until what well, until today. Mm. Um, I think I wouldn't know what we were now, but I think we we're averaging roughly a hundred mils a month since June. Which obviously, if we only get forty five, that's that's obviously considerably more. Uh, we're 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 sort of the where the home farm here is at Flora. We've sort of got two rivers which sort of run either side of us. Uh, and then they meet at the far end of the farm, um, and then another couple of miles beyond that they go into the River Trent, and they probably flood historically twice a decade, and that can range really from quite badly to a little bit, uh, and I think they've flooded four times in seven weeks. So it's, yeah, it's an extreme. We, we record the, the weather or the, the, the rain here, um, have done since 1976, very formally, uh, and the, we're beyond anything now. We're beyond even the realms of 2000, so 2000, very wet in, in, in the back end, but we've now sort of overtaken that. I don't think we'll beat 2012. I hope we don't beat 2012 in a, in a total rainfall. Uh, but bearing in mind we're in the drought for January, February, March and average rain for uh, May and April and May. We, um, yeah, we uh, are very, very wet to the point where harvest was OK. So yields were good. It's one of the best we've probably had from a cereal yield point of view and same for maize. Um, Price-wise, less than we budgeted for, but that's the part of the parcel of having a decent harvest and being such a small speck in the world. Um, and then where we sort of have got the real problems now is that we've planted nothing. So we struggled with oil seed rape here because of flea beetle, so we didn't really try and plant too much. We planted 55 hectares, which is probably 
8% of what we would historically grow. Uh, and those 55 hectares failed quite comprehensively, quite quickly. Um, and then as far as winter or autumn planting goes, we would traditionally drill late anyway because of black grass. Uh, but we were planning on just over a thousand hectares of winter cereals and we've drilled 94 of which I don't think those 94 will probably come to much. So yeah, as a, as a, as yeah, one to remember, I would say. Definitely looking forward to the turn of the new year then and hopefully a yeah. new, new start come 2020. Yeah, no, well, let, let's hope so. I mean, we keep saying every time we get a new moon, we go, oh, here we go. This is the change of the weather. And yet we get, um, we get sort of these horrendous sort of wet periods. The, the interesting thing was as we came into November, we're looking back at our weather records. We've never had a November over 100 mils or equally we've never had a November below 10 mils. So we thought, here we go. This is the sub 10 mil one coming up and in fact we've had 120 something so we've we've beaten the the wrongs record uh so yeah no we are definitely looking forward to it um it's it's hard it's tricky planning i mean trying to plan what you are doing i think the the biggest thing i've noticed more than anything is actually no you can't shut off you can't turn off so therefore all the boys on the farm they you know by now we're normally in very much christmas mode uh they're doing very little whereas at the minute they are doing winter jobs but they're in the back of your mind you've got the fact that we've got a lot of drilling left to do and at some point we're going to do it i think to be safe it's definitely going to be in the new year now for sure uh if not probably even february um so i think the plan is still to try and drill winter wheat until the end of end of feb probably that will be our that will be our cut off for that we'll have a variety change We've got a good relationship with our seed supply at uh, Open Fields, so they're sort of looking after us from that side. Um, and then once we get beyond uh, the end of um, the end of Feb, and we've not really drilled any winter wheat, we'll move on to spring wheat uh, and then spring barley, which an element of that was planned anyway. We're quite fortunate that we also have the option of growing some maize, uh, which will go into the uh, bioenergy world. Uh, we're even more fortunate in the fact that actually this year we'd harvested all our maize before it got really biblically bad. So actually we were quite lucky in the fact that we didn't really make much of a mess. And we also, the contractor who harvested it for us, had some pretty good wet weather machinery and element ways of being able to load lorries onto the road without putting mud on the road. So actually we had a pretty good maize harvest from A yield, but B also harvest. So yeah, no, we're, we're pretty organised, but waiting to see what's going to happen with the weather. Mark's here as well, Mike, you've heard Tom's story. Tom's not alone. Obviously, this is happening on a number of farms right across uh, well, large parts of the, the country at the moment, particularly this part of the world, though. What advice can, can you from Topless give? Uh, we are t- encouraging people to talk mm. and communicate. Um, most of the farmers we are um, advising are being quite realistic, like Tom has been, and surprisingly upbeat, planning their spring cropping, trying to get hold of some seed, um, and uh, those sorts of things. So we are advising them to actually not bury their head in the sand and to, and to start looking at some cash flows and some budgets for Harvest 20, Harvest 21, um, where not a lot of them have been doing budgets, but we're obviously always as accountants saying, please get your budget out, please do something. And I think this is going to sharpen their minds into actually having to do something. Because that's it, isn't it? We, you can't just sit still, really. You've no. got to, you know, you can't necessarily know what the future will hold or the next few weeks will hold, but you've got to be ready for grasping that opportunity when it comes. Yeah, I mean, the basic payment has hopefully hit most people's accounts in the last few weeks, um, which has buoyed them up for Christmas. And uh, as I say, people are being quite upbeat about things despite the weather. And uh, I think what we're saying to people is that winter wheat is your most profitable crop. There's going to be hardly any winter wheat. 
But if you can get some wheat in before the end of February, as Tom's going to try to, and some spring wheat, it'll just be what we're seeing, what we're sort of thinking about is turnover being down 30% for harvest 2020, but profits maybe down 50%. And that's a big impact, which will take us through into 21 and 22. Can you remember a period like this before? Well, we've had some wet years, um, but people's cropping, um, profits were down after those wet autumns. Um, I think Tom will know the exact years, 20, two, yeah. 2010 and 2012. I think 2000 was the one which which everyone is, remembers as being the really biblically wet back end. 2012 was the one which was the very wet harvest, which was obviously hard work during the harvesting point. But from this this harvest, certainly in the East Midlands, has been wet through with also a wet back end. Um, so no, they would be the wet. We had other ones, seven and uh, eight were also quite wet. But the I think what what's happened this year is even in 2000, um, people got their winter wheat planted, a lot of it planted, because it didn't really become wet until the end of September. Mm. So a lot had been drilled by that point, whereas this became wet before the beginning of, before, well, at, you know, the middle of September, as people were beginning to start. Um, so no, it's tricky. I mean, we've just had our year end. Um, so we've done our budgets for next year. And as Mark had said, they don't look very exciting. They look okay, but they don't look exciting. But there's not really a cash flow implication, I don't think, until probably 18 months' time. So we're trying to do, which is hard work, a budget and a cropping plan for 2021 year. So you can try and see whether there's any pinch points to be able to um, uh, prepare yourself uh, for anything you need to do. The problem is it's very depressing because you're struggling, you're trying to do a cropping plan on fields you haven't even got a crop in this year yet to be able to make a decision what you think you're going to plant there. So it's a little bit finger in the air really and having a guess, but I think it's just going to prepare you perhaps to the fact that you think in 2021 at what point am I going to be struggling here uh, or am I going to be struggling you know we, we'll see quite regularly also what happens and I'm not saying it will happen this time is well we do sometimes get a slight saving grace in the commodity price rise for whatever reason it's pure fluke regularly because something which happened else around the world but I think there's if you being a farmer you've got to be half an optimist and half think that something might crop up you never know but it no it's 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 I think uncharted waters really certainly for us in this part of the world we're in a completely uncharted waters in a time when it's tricky and what we're challenging people on is to look at the discretionary spending because it's always the same isn't it that when you've got cash tightening um property repairs and uh, those sorts of expenses capital unnecessary capital expenditure will have to be cut um, and we will challenge people on their drawings yeah you, you say uh, you want people to talk are, are people coming forward are they talking with you i think uh not not a, not a great deal at the moment, but certainly the ones I'm talking to on their annual cash annual accounts are are facing up to the future, like Tom is with his mm-hmm. business. I, I think after Christmas we will have to encourage people to actually come and and do some to do something with us. Can you plan for anything for 2020 at the moment? Can you with certainty know where you're going? No, uh, no, not not properly. Not not where you not what you would like to do. I think for 20, you just got to. I think you've got to pull up your belt and tighten your purse string slightly, um, for sure. And then you've got to just have a rolling plan of what you think you're going to do cropping. So you know that you can't drill winter wheat beyond maybe the end of February. So therefore, have you got a plan that if we get to the end of February, what are you going to plant? Have you covered yourself with spring seed? You know, it's that sort of principle. Have you? It's having a plan from that point, a rolling plan. I think you know, we might suddenly hit February and the weather becomes a lot better and actually two weeks busy in February might suddenly actually make everyone feel a lot better. 
it's not as good as two weeks early in early October, but it's it might make everyone feel better. But equally, it might not be. So therefore, what is your long range plan? Are you going to follow something? I mean, that's the other that's the other question. Some businesses, if you're a a business which is probably fully owned uh, and has a fixed cost structure, which can cope with following some land, maybe you should be maybe we should be following something. Um, that doesn't work for everyone, uh, and it would have to be definitely what you would call as a managed fallow. So you can't just leave a, a field empty and not do anything with it. It's probably got to have something actively growing in it. So then you could argue to yourself, well, if I can plant a cover crop or something in there, maybe I should be planting a cash crop in there. So it's a it's a tricky one. I just think you've got to. I think the only planning you can do is make sure you've got sort of a, a regime in your head where you know that when you get to a certain point, that you think to yourself, no, I'm having a mild change of plan now. And Mark mentioned the, the optimism. How are you staying optimistic? Because you you know you seem you yeah, yeah. pretty perky at the minute, but uh, uh, there I'm, must be a lot going on underneath. I'm anyone who knows. I'm an acute optimist, and I think yeah. I wouldn't be doing what I did if I wasn't an optimist. Uh, no, I, I think my, my gut feeling is talking to everybody locally is that actually everyone's beyond that point now. The depression sort of sit it what sort of hit in really probably the end of October, early November. Uh, and I think people now have just gone. Well, yeah, it, it is what it is now, and we've got to, you know, we've got to hope that we're um, we're going to get a decent weather window to be able to get. I think once something starts to happen, everyone's morale will, will massively lift. But no, I, I, yeah, I mean, for me as a person, I'm perfectly fine. Um, I'm fortunate the people that we're in the scale that we are. I've got a lot of people I can talk to. We're just in within the business, uh, and we farm for lots of other people. So I talk to them as well. So that sort of helps. I think it would be a different kettle of fish if you were a sole occupier by yourself and sort of keeping yourself to yourself. I think that's that's you know, acutely obvious, really. Um, but no, I'm yeah. I, th- I think as a whole, everyone's annoyed and would wish not to be in this situation. But they're beyond the point now of being depressed about it. Tom Hawthorne of Flora Farms with Mark Chatterton of Duncan and Topless looking with optimism to 2020. Well Andrew Ward is with me before we look ahead to 2020. Andrew how would you recap 2019? Mm. Um, recap 2019 uh, we haven't quite got time for, for my thoughts on that Sean but uh, it's been more than challenging and I would say probably in all my years of farming it's been the most challenging that I've known. We've had wet periods before, we've had wet times before, but I can't ever remember a period where it started raining on September the 23rd, I think it was, and today it's still raining and we haven't been able to get on the land to do very much drilling or or land work. So it's very challenging, but I think at the moment, to be honest, uh, Sean, we are going to have a lot worse times in the next year, even possibly two years. I was going to say, how much have you managed to actually get done by the year out? We uh, have only drilled 50 acres of wheat, and that's on the light land, and that was on the heath uh, a week last Thursday. And so that's the only bit we've managed to get in. I've written off uh, drilling any any heavy land, just not going to do it. We did some of that um, when we first started this delayed drilling and black grass job about six or seven years ago. And the field that we did, which I hadn't, it didn't yield. It had water stood all over it all year. So that's a real reminder looking at those photographs from six or seven years ago. So so the old adage of saying people say learn by your mistakes, I certainly have learned by that one. And I think that's a great thing for, for, for people to do. To If you make a mistake, don't worry, just learn from it. So we did that in that year. So that's why now that I'm not really pulling my hair out too much and uh, worried about not getting the crops in because we will in the spring. We just don't want to make a mess now. You say it's issues going forward for the next year, two years. What are the main issues, do you think, that you're going to be facing? Well, I think we're going to have 
Uh, serious problems with with probably cash flow next year. Harvest is going to be uh, is going to be down because spring crops don't yield the same as as winter crops. So harvest yields will be down. And I think the damage we that we have done to some of our soils with lifting sugar beet on on the uh, in the wet will take probably two or three years to recover. And because we're going to be having spring crops. They are usually later to harvest, which means it will impact on getting the land ready for the following harvest. So that will be sort of two harvest. It will impact us, I think. And we've uh, got obviously the Brexit situation. We don't know what's going to happen with that. We don't know what trade regulations we're going to have to uh, have to follow. And the strength of the pound at the moment is, is not helping matters. And, of course, for the livestock uh, farmers, there will be a shortage of straw, I should say, because spring crops don't yield as much straw-wise either. So there's there's lots of things that's going to happen, and I think you could say lots of uncertainty at the moment going forward. As well as battling on the farm, obviously you're also the founder of Forage Aid, and I know you're trying to help other farmers who are in bad situations, as you said, the livestock with the, the forage that's needed there. Yeah, and, and that and that is is really um, very distressing when you see some of the sites that I've seen over the last few um, weeks, and and really when you remember the flood started in uh, in July up in Reith uh, near Richmond, and the sites I saw there with dead trees in the lower branches of trees uh, w- w- was not pleasant. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very distressing time with the weather for the livestock, and and forage aid is helping. We're helping at the moment in Matlock, and we're helping just near Doncaster as well and we're helping up in Richmond so there's three areas that we are delivering forage and straw to farms at the moment and and as a result of that these livestock farmers are are, are sort of managing to 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 um, sort of have a a Christmas so on behalf of Forage Aid and everybody who who um, is receiving straw and silage from us, thank you to the farmers if you're listening and you have donated straw to us. It's extremely grateful and, and uh, appreciated by the livestock and by the farmers. So uh, you know, thank you very much, but please keep it coming. Finally, I guess uh, it, it, it seems to be the way of the world at the moment, probably because of social media. A lot of bricks are being thrown at farmers, a lot of uh, anger and a lot of accusations. Now more than ever, I think, you know, we need to be supporting our farmers, don't we? Because this has been a bad year. And as you say, things are going to be tight for the next year or two. It really is, Sean. Yeah. And and, and it's just sometimes you see all the, the things that people put on social media and, and you see it the same as I do. And and sometimes you despair at, at, at the the targeting that seems to go towards farmers and that the, the a lot of people seem to think that farmers and livestock, if you like, is causing climate change. And it's not. Transport in the UK is two and a half times greater contribution towards greenhouse gas emissions than what agriculture is. And there's nothing better than a field of grass to soak up carbon from the atmosphere. And so all this sort of farmer intimidation that we seem to be getting at the moment um, is is really uncalled for and and you've mentioned the weather a few minutes ago and, and people really need to stop and think that there's a lot of stress in agriculture at the moment because of the weather and and farmers livelihoods are, are at risk and with the added pressure and stress of of targeting by some organizations on social media some individuals it pushes some farmers over the edge 
and and it really is not good that the uh, the farmers are targeted in this way because we're the custodians of the countryside. We don't want to damage the countryside any more than anybody else does because it's the next generation that we have to leave it to. And looking at the NFU, uh, they do an awful lot to help agriculture. And I think really that they get some unfair criticism uh, as well on social media. And the NFU, I would say, are doing an enormous amount around the countryside and in farming. And we are, are um, a lot better for having the NFU with us. And if you're not an NFU member, uh, you already benefit and do benefit from the work the NFU do. So I think, again, there's unfair criticism there. So it's, it's been a tough year all around, Sean. Um, and I just hope the, the next year you know, is, is going to look up and be better for everybody. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the views there of Andrew Ward. Before that, uh, Tom Hawthorne. We've heard also over the past few weeks from uh, Henry Ward, among others. It hasn't been the best of uh, years. Let's look forward maybe to a more positive 2020. As I've said many times before, if you're struggling, there are people to talk to in complete confidence and uh, ever more important, particularly at this time of year. LRSN, the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, Yara, uh, RABI, the Samaritans, many other organisations as well. You'll find their details online and uh, indeed throughout the Christmas period. We'll be sharing them on our social media feeds as well. It's the last programme proper of the year, indeed the last programme proper of the decade. Our agronomist Sean Sparling is with us ahead of his star performance in next week's Panto. Uh, Sean, sum up 2019 for us. Morning. Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, I refer my honourable friend to the answer to the question which I gave last week and the week before and the week before that and the week before that and the week before that. It's very, very, very wet out here in the field. It's raining again. It's not going to get any better until it starts to dry up. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we've done since last week. So I thought what I'd do is just have a think back, seeing as it's nearly Christmas, we'll just go back on the year that we've experienced. Quite an extraordinary year of extremes. I don't think so many conversations in my career have started with, I've never seen it like this before. Now, whether that relates to the wet or the dry, you know, I've had conversations on farm one week saying, whoa, you don't know what this land's like when it gets dry. The following week, the same fella said, whoa, you don't know what this land's like when it gets wet. I've never seen the extremes that we've witnessed this year. It's been a very challenging sugar beet season so far. We've got land lifted, which we would normally lift in January, February, the late lift stuff, because we physically can't get on any of the other fields. There's a lot of sugar beet out in the field. So spare a thought for people like Pete and Tom at Craven Transport, hauling that sugar beet. They're going to be working right through Christmas with very little time off. If the conditions mean they need to go out, they will be going out and they'll be keeping that sugar beet moving. So hats off to those lads and Merry Christmas. Very good drilling spring, very dry spring, sunny, a little bit wet about, but not a lot of wet, which enabled us to get spring crops in the ground. It enabled us to get a good start to the winter crops we'd already got in the ground. But a lot of floods, we had floods in June, we've had floods again this autumn. Some farms have been completely flooded twice by in the flood zone areas that the Environment Agency employ. These are supposed to be events which happen once every 30 years. And when you've got it twice in the same year and seven or eight times in the last 10 years you start to question whether it is indeed global warming or climate shift or whether it's just because these rivers are so silted up they can't physically carry that water a lot of questions being asked no answers being given really so if you're looking out at a wet garden at the moment 
just think about it. You're thinking, oh, I'd love to get out there and do some digging and put some bulbs in and I just can't get out and do it. Scale that up to farm scale and think about it from the point of view of a farmer whose livelihood and income relies upon him being able to get out there. And it's just as wet in the field. We can't get on the land. We can't get crops in. And that means there are going to be some real hardships coming in the next 12 months or so. So we had a very good spring barley harvest. I've never witnessed such good spring barley yields. Winter wheat yields, pretty good. And again, that's because of the combination of a little bit of rain and plenty of sunshine. We need the sunshine to finish the crop, otherwise they die on their feet. We need that sunshine to ripen them. And we did get that. Um, so we've had oil seed rate was very disappointing, you know. And the reason for that is the drought caused bud abortion in the early flowering stages of oilseed rate so we lost those first 15 20 pods because of the drought it's a natural stress reaction by oilseed rate to shut down the buds um, then we got a little bit of rain so we started to build pods and they started to set pods and then a lot of rain which rotted off the later flowers so instead of this big three foot canopy of pods we ended up losing the first foot of canopy losing the third foot of canopy and ended up with that one foot of canopy of pods all the way through the middle which is why the yields were so disappointing and a ton and a quarter was a very very good average to end up with this year on oilseed rate so let's look back at the year we started last december let's go back to this time last year with 68 mil of rain last december which set us up that's what saved us this spring because in january and february we took 17.8 and 17.2 millimeters of rain respectively very frosty second half of january six or seven real stinker frosts at the end of january so we started to think winter was here we've got beasts from the east fresh in our mind so we're thinking about that february as i say 17 mil of rain very frosty but warm from the middle of the month onwards. We got to the 15th and we started to hit double figures every single day. 48 mil of rain in March, that's more like it. We start to relax a little bit. We start to think we've got some water there. That helps to grow the crops. Two frosts in March, that was all, but very mild and sunny in general. April, 15 mil of rain again, drop back. We need the rain now, we're starting to worry. Windy, very windy through April but high 20s from about the 18th and all of that heat is starting to dry out what little bit of moisture there is 42 mil of rain in May a very cold windy start to May but again then very hot and sunny as we went through the second half so from the 1st of January to the 31st of May just five inches of rain in that entire time one inch of rain a month in, in what should be the wettest five months of the year so we're starting to worry a little bit and there are people saying into june the very beginning of june it was quite sunny quite warm in the first couple of days of june people are starting to say we could soon do with a drop of rain well it started didn't it around cereals very warm start as i say to june but in incredibly wet cereals it was carnage at cereals you know i took 116 mil of rain for the entire month of june there were people in the navenby area fished off out near boston spilsby who took 150 50 millimetres of rain in just 24 hours in the first day or so of that week of cereals which is an extraordinarily wet time that's when we started to see the flooding but a warm end to sit to june you know linkage show first day was cold second day a little bit of drizzle but very very warm july we moved into a very hot and sunny july 39 degrees on the 25th of july as hot as i've ever recorded but a very west 
last five days. You know, I took 69 millimetres of rain in the last six days of July. We moved into the first bit of August. Very, very wet first half, just when we want to be doing the combining. So 66 mil of rain in August, but very hot towards the end. We moved out all throughout. The lowest temperature I recorded in August was 22. The hottest was 35, and there were several 35. Then we moved into September, incredibly dry until the 22nd of September. All seed rape crops which went in the ground late, they suffered from cabbage stem flea beetle, but more so from the dry soils because they couldn't grow away from any damage. So people were praying for rain and on the 22nd the prayers were answered. 105 mil of rain in September in the last week of September. Um, 146 mil of rain in October. 123 mil of rain in November. And three days it didn't rain in October and just three days it didn't rain in November and none of those days were consecutive. In December, here I sit, 20th of December and I've had 48 mil of rain so far. So from the 1st of January to the 1st of June, an inch a week, five inches of rain. From the 1st of June to where we are today on the 20th of December, 27 inches of rain. That's almost an inch of rain a week since the 1st of June. So since the 23rd of September, there have been just nine days where it hasn't rained and only two of those days have been concurrent so it's been a very very extreme year from a drought in the first half when we were cutting out growth regs in the cereal crops because we didn't put them on to concerns about how dry it was when we're putting fungicides on to then a very wet second half a wet middle period a wet second half a disrupted harvest and the net result is we've lost a lot of rate to cabbage stem flea beetle and the dry conditions we've only got about 40 to 50 percent of the wheat in the ground in this region and i think that's being optimistic so it's going to be a very 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 busy spring but this is what farming is you know 80% of it is down to the weather and is luck, and the other 20% is skill. But by Jingo, you're going to need someone with some skill to help you come in this spring because it is going to be incredibly complicated. Fingers crossed for all you sugar beet grows that you get it out of the ground. Fingers crossed for the potato boys. The quality is still there if you can get them off the field. I keep my fingers crossed. I wish every single one of you a happy, happy, healthy Christmas. And can I just say, God bless us, everyone. Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Service, the wizard in our farming remake of The Wizard of Oz, uh, this time next week. Our tin man is our grain man, uh, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Morning, Kit. What's the news this week? Morning, Sean. Tuesday saw another good day in terms of the ex-farm pricing as we had a double whammy of a weaker pound and continuing firming of the US seabot futures post the China truce. London wheat finished £1.50 up, which was £4 in two days while the French rapeseed finished €3 Euros up. That's nearly €7 Euros since Monday morning. Ex-farm values are now close again to contracts highs since the fall at harvest. Helping both wheat and oilseed rape is the weakening pound, as I've said before. Proposed legislation of limiting Brexit to the transition period only effectively means to some that no deal could be back on the table. It has been another week of limited drilling in Lincolnshire due to sporadic showers and saturated ground. Sugar beet continues to be lifted on lighter ground and there is the opportunity to drill afterwards if the weather allows. Looking further afield to China, yellow rust is expected to affect their wheat output around the spring next year. After the disease spreads to the key production areas across the eastern and northwest regions. China's meteorological department forecasts temperatures in the eastern and central wheat producing regions slightly higher versus a year ago, which is conducive to breeding of, of yellow rust in the winter. 
China, the world's top wheat producer, has grown 133.59 million tonnes in 2019, which is up 1.6% from a year ago. Moving on to all-seed rate, Matif futures have risen this week by 8.25 euros, bringing the ex-farm values back up to 330 plus for March 20 and onwards. As a result, there has been a few more sellers of pre-Christmas, and if values hold through to the new year, we shall see more OSR come to the market. There are still limited buyers, and it is likely to stay this way until the new year and a Brexit deal has been published. On a positive note, there are no imports of OSR currently scheduled for the UK. Barley, the weakening pound, should help the feed barley, which has been struggling to find a home recently. There is currently a boat loading out of Ipswich, but should have been out of the wash of King's Lynn. This discount on new crop, in my view, now looks far too wide. Moving on to prices, feed wheat for December is 140 to 142, February 144 to 146, May 148 to 150, November 20, 155 to 157. And milling premiums are currently 18 to 20 pounds. Oilseed rate for December 318 to 320, February 328 to 330, May 333 to 335, and November 20 new crop 308 to 310. Feed barley values for December are 120 to 122, February 123 to 125, and May 126 to 128. There are limited prices going forward. Malting premiums are in the region of eight to ten pounds. And that's it from me this year. A very merry Christmas and a happy New Year to you all. I look forward to broadcasting to you in the new year. Thank you, Kit. Kit Dickinson at Open Field. Right, Christmas week. So are we dreaming of a white Christmas? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. In a word, no, it won't be, I'm afraid. More settled, though, certainly this week, with the jet stream on manoeuvres further north. Uh, today, for example, should be drier, a bit breezy from the northwest, gusting 25 to 30 miles an hour. Temperatures nearer the average for this time of year, highs of 7. Maybe some sunshine tomorrow, but mostly cloudy. That wind still from the west with gusts at 30 miles an hour. And then Christmas Eve, bright and breezy, plenty of sunshine through the day. Highs around 6, the wind still from the west, mostly 15 to 20 miles an hour. Christmas Day, it might start frosty. We've got temperatures around freezing first thing, not moving much above 3 Celsius throughout the day itself. It should be dry, though there could be some rain by the evening. The wind more from the southeast on Christmas Day itself. For now, that's the forecast. Next week, as mentioned, it's panto time. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, Sally Elkington returns, remember her, uh, along with uh, all your farming programme regulars to perform the story of the Wizard of Oz, or rather, the Wizard of Agrosomy. Uh, Dorothy's boat is swept away by flood water to a faraway land. Can she kill the wicked rain-dancing witch so the agronomist can get on with his work? See what we've done? Uh, find out next week. Until then, from all of the team here on the Farming Programme, here's hoping for a Merry Christmas. We'll chat on the other side of it.